0: We are uh, coming into a new season as a church. I've been working for the better part of four or five months now on these next two teaching series that we're walking into. They've been very transformative for me in my journey. My prayer is that they'll be very transformative for you, that you'll be more like Jesus in a few months than you are today. Uh, We are starting the year going into a series that's going to launch what we call a vision season uh, what we mean by vision is it gives us some mile markers for how we're going to uh, unify our funds and efforts in order to make an impact in the upcoming year. And so we're, we call this Vision Sunday and we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second. But we've called the sermon series around it Servant Jesus. Uh, we have a guy that we worship in this place named Jesus. He is the name that is above every other name. We believe that he's a powerful and able and capable in God, but one of the most confounding and amazing things about this Jesus is that he came as a servant. And we are to walk in the path of a servant if we want to be great in God's kingdom. But then, in a few weeks after we get through that teaching series, we're going to launch small groups and we're going to go into a series called Made by the Word. It's the first in house group series we've ever done here as a church. Uh, Really excited to have Pastor Dan who is stepping in to help me with what I've gotten myself and our church in over our head with so that we can produce everything that we're doing. I would covet your prayers. This week we're shooting a lot of the group content in-house throughout the week here. So we're going to be actually shooting content around how to study the Bible, how to make the Bible a priority in your life, a habit in your life so that we can be made by the Word. We want you in this year to become more like the people of God that are described in the Word of God by the Spirit of God. And that takes a lot of intentionality, and we believe that this series is going to aid as a resource in the Spirit's work in you becoming more like Jesus. So there's my ploy, my pride, my encouragement that you're going to hear for the next month to get into a community group with a bunch of people that may actually be as weird as you are. Uh, and you may be able to look at each other and go, hey, we're both weird. Let's be weird together. Uh, which will be a lot of fun. So uh, you can get information about hosting a group and the training's coming up for that as we get ready for that group season outside on your way out. So uh, we have a mission here at Four Points Church. It is an unchanging purpose for which we exist. Now, our dashboard version of that needs to not overstate what we really mean by it. The mission of any church is to be about the great commission that God has called us to. You cannot, you can say whatever you want, like, we're here to do this, this, and that. But at the end of the day, if it's God's church, it it has to be about His commission. And so there's two things in the Bible that are described as great. One is the great commission, and the other is the great commandment. My pastoral heart just died a little bit with your silence. I'm hoping it was just you being Baptist, meaning you don't want to encourage your preacher and not you uh, not knowing the great commandment. But if you want to live a great life, we should be consumed with and give much of our time to the two things the Bible calls great. Now, the Great Commission we spoke of recently, whenever we were commissioning Pastor Dan and his family to the ministry work that they're stepping into as a faith family. But how many of you have experienced people who are doing the right thing, but their attitude, their demeanor, and their speech just are completely ruining the experience of it? You ever been to a really good restaurant? That had incredible food, but terrible service. You see, God knew that many of us as followers of God would become very zealous about the things of God, the commission that we've been called to to make disciples. But we, if we're not careful, could go about doing it in a way that lacks love for God and love for our neighbor. And so he wanted the service that accompanied the message to match the kingdom that we come from. So he not only gives us a great commission but he gives us a great commandment. Because if you go about the commission without a love for God, then you make it about your platform and your religious ideologies that you're actually trying to build, your political ideas that you're trying to institute, instead of it being about his kingdom that we're trying to experience, even though it's here but not yet. And so we want to make sure that you understand that in whatever endeavor we go about as a church, we not only want to be about the commission of God, but we want to be about doing it out of a love of God. So everything we do in ministry, in service, in community groups, in our lives, should be done out of a motivation of, I love God, therefore I respond, therefore I speak, therefore I live in this sort of way. Uh, The Bible would describe that kind of living as light and darkness and salt to the earth, but it doesn't stop out of a love for God. You see, some people love God, but they really struggle to love other people. Uh, I take your silence to be an amen. Amen. And there are times where I can be around other people who love Jesus, but man, I really struggle to want to love them. And that's why God put a second part of that commandment. And it's actually a summation of the second part of the Ten Commandments that we read in the Old Testament. The first five dealing with our relationship with God, the second five dealing with our relationship with others. And so he says, not only are you to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but the byproduct, if you're actually doing that, is that you'll overflow with so much love that it runs to your neighbor, which then, by the way, just to make sure you remember, the people that were there would later ask him, and who's my neighbor? And he would go and point to their enemy, the Samaritans, and say, that's your neighbor. So we are, if we want to live a life that's great, to be consumed with the Great Commission. My biggest fear, as your pastor is that some of you would dare be here for the next decade of your life and not be a part of hands-on, as the Spirit works through you, in making of a disciple around you. It's not my job to make disciples. It's our job, collectively, to give witness to the Word and to make disciples in the lives that we live. i got three kids, and they are giving me all my hands can handle with disciple-making at the moment. I'm pretty sure that Satan is trying to make my kids his disciple. Therefore, I can't disciple everyone, and I need help with, uh, with all of us being on this mission together if we're to do it. Now, the way that we dashboard that statement here at Four Points, our unchanging purpose, our mission is to reach the least, the lost, and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's our way of saying we are here to be a church that equips the saints within it to engage the non-reach saints outside of it. Uh, we are a church for, honestly, people that are difficult which is why a lot of you have made it here as long as you've made it here. And we're not trying to make that as a distinctive that elevates us as being better, but we believe that there's lots of churches. We're in a church-saturated culture and community, and we believe there's a distinct purpose for which God has allowed this church to survive pandemics and transitions and every other thing that it has gone through over the last couple of years. And we want to be about reaching and engaging the people that perhaps other churches are not equipped with weirdos like us to reach and engage to make disciples out of. Are, Are you tracking with me? So we exist to reach the lost and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over 2022, God was extremely gracious to us in those endeavors. We're going on month 31, 31 straight months of every Sunday service at least having one first-time guest in it. That's almost, we're coming up on three years, three years. Now, some of you got excited. Some of you're like, "Is that worthy of celebrating? Is it just another church trying to become big?" Let me tell you why it's so exciting. You are leveraging your influence to invite people into your life. And as a byproduct of inviting people into your life to hear and see the gospel, you're bringing them to the church and the community that you're witnessing with. And they're experiencing the kingdom of God as they experience the work of God through this community. That's why it's worthy of celebration. And I'll give you another chance to celebrate that we're going on 31 months of first-time guests. Go ahead. Come into our church. On on top of that, we were able to see 40 people go forward in believer's baptism last year. We can celebrate that. Go ahead. We had 45 people that made professions of faith. Yes, we do follow up here, and yes, we try and disciple those that make professions. We grew numerically, which we do celebrate. We started the year under 300 people on average in our attendance. We ended the year at almost 542 in average attendance. Those are great things that God did. We had 514 first-time guests in 2022. Again, we can celebrate that. You see, see, I love this because this differentiates us. Some of y'all, y'all got to get some joy back in you. Like you, y- you're gonna get before a TV screen and you're gonna lose your daggum mind. And, and you're sitting here and you're like, oh, you know, God moved, yeah, okay, oh, yeah, so good, you know. And you're taking the work of God as being common and the work of a football team as being uncommon. And I, I just, I'm sorry, he he's worthy of uncommon praise. He's worthy of uncommon worship. And if you can't get excited in this house, then you better sit your butt down in your house when you cheer for that football team. Uh, that's just, that was a pastoral love statement. Uh, 323 of those 500 came back. That's, that confounds me. I get why you might come once. <laughs> but the fact that you came back, shh, look at God. Okay. Uh, the biggest area of growth in our church last year was right here. We got, we got so many fifth grade and under kids that we we've run out of space. We we had eighty on average, which was way up from where we were last fall. But we ended the year running in the high one twenties. We even in the we're in the one forties for August and October and kids fifth grade and under and fifth grade and under. I got a few more things for you. Uh, we started an entire missions department that we did not have in twenty before twenty twenty two. Yeah. Uh, we made margin within our budget. Because we wanted to be about planning churches and equipping saints and sending them to reach the ends of the earth. And so we uh, actually set aside a percentage of our budget that we increased this budget cycle, which I'm excited about, so that we can uh, sponsor and, and get behind more missionaries. And uh, through your giving and uh, through our outreach efforts, we've been able to support missionaries like Cecil and Tracy Ramos. They're in Thailand, they've planted the first Christian church in a village of 10,000 people in the entire history of that city. Yeah, we can celebrate that. And we're we're funding their out we're helping them fund outreaches. We're helping them live and find support there. They've been there ten years in Thailand. They're coming this summer to four points, I can tell you that now. And are gonna be with us. And our goal, they have a furlough where they're back here for a while with us. Our goal is that in twenty twenty four, some of you dare to take an eighteen hour flight with us. And we go to join in on the work of this young house church that's meeting in Thailand, about 25 people. It's going to be exciting, yeah. Um, you got Pastor Akeem Smith and his wife Jamie. They've planted a church in Oakland, California. We love what God's doing in Oakland right now through them. Some of you are like, we've run from California. Believe it or not, people are being sent to California to actually help plant churches. So where you run from, God's backfilling. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. And so we're excited about what God's doing there. The church at Piedmont Mill, Jason Reed, uh, doing incredible work down there. They launched last fall. That's in Piedmont, South Carolina. Uh, we've got Lucas VanderWalker, who's over FCA in our area, and we love FCA. Get behind as much of the stuff going on with FCA as we can. And then uh, Harrison and Lauren Smith, who are working with college students in the Middle East, and we just love what God is doing on the college campus. Uh, How many uh, students are on the campus they're at? It was like 60,000? 50 to 60,000 college students, uh, less than a percent Our followers or would identify as followers of Jesus and they're getting to build community there and through your giving we've been able to support financially those mission partners this year this year we begin the process of sending Uh, we've gone locally to our community we've been doing that very actively but it's now time for some of you to get a bigger perspective of God and we have plans in the works to get some of you to have boots on the ground with some of our mission partners that you've met and some of you've yet to meet in this upcoming year so uh, get ready because it's time to, time to go On top of that, we did lots of outreach uh, events. I'll highlight a few of them. Uh, We helped church at Piedmont Mill get ready. We completely gutted their church. I mean, tore down walls, gutted the thing out to get it ready for their launch that they had. Uh, We did, our DSS employees were having a high dropout rate. There's a lot of discouragement with working in DSS. You work with some of the worst situations around the country, so we wrote handwritten cards and packed bags and delivered those bags. It's just a, hey, we see you. We appreciate the work that you're doing in our community. We love you, and we want it to continue to be uh, to the benefit of The kids that you represent and fight for—we served over 800 at Thanksgiving uh, on Thanksgiving Day with Thanksgiving meals, and 75 kids uh, were uh, helped with Christmas through the Middle Tiger River Company, uh, Middle Tiger River Community Center—not Company Center, Community Center down the road. And so that came through your ministry efforts and your outreach. Yeah, we served over 1,500 people uh, this year, and 235 of you went and did that. Uh, the total number for missions giving, I think we threw it up there and I skipped over it. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. That's a major increase in 2022 from where we were. We were able to give over $60,000 to help fund ministry and mission. So that, our mission is to reach the least lost and lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's our vision? Well, what is that? Vision is different from mission because vision is about identifying the current mile marker we're on and being obedient towards the bigger picture of what God's called us to do. We are presuming that there's going to be times where, as a church, we've got to develop, we've got to grow, and there's going to be opportunities in our community to represent uh, and serve in the name of Jesus. And so we want to be able to identify those things and allocate our people and our resources to go after it. We want to measure and make impact in those areas. And so coming out of the pandemic and transitions that this church had gone through, we felt like there was a lot of underdeveloped ministry that needed help. We needed to spend some time working on the structure and preparing the house. And so our vision, our current mile marker in this long path of being obedient to our mission is to create dynamic environments for people to connect with Jesus and each other. What does that mean? Well, in 2022, that meant we took a small group ministry that had two groups in it and no structure, and we went from two to the last fall having 27 community groups in our church. We built some structure. We, We believe... That it is impossible as a follower of Christ for you to grow at the pace God would call you to grow at and the maturity of Christ that he's called you to mature in apart from the community of Christ. If you don't have community around you, you run at a suboptimal pace after Christ. You overlook sin that you normally would repent of. And when you get into community, you find brothers and sisters. Sometimes it goes right, sometimes it goes wrong. I get it. It's not a perfect science. You're going to have to forgive everybody and anyone you're in relationship with. But when we get into community with other brothers and sisters that are trying to go after Jesus together, we're able to be spurred on to good works. We're able to be loved and encouraged when we're down. We're able to divide our burdens and multiply our joys. And we just believe that life is done better when we do it together together in community, and God's done incredible things through that. We started in the spring with 17 community groups, 118 people that got in to those community groups. Over summer, I was told not to say this again, but here it comes. A bunch of y'all went to Dirty Myrtle for a couple of months. You came back without a disease. Congratulations. God's grace is sufficient. We had 10 groups with 108 uh, of you in it, and then Dirty Myrtle is uh, Myrtle Beach. Um, it's, the, it's the place where people from Ohio come and ruin three months out of the year. That's... that's in first opinions chapter th- Never mind. Um. <laughs> but then in the fall we had 27 community groups and 183 people that 183 people in it yeah our student ministry graduated like half the student ministry into college, and they regrew and backfilled, and one of the reasons we have 27 community groups is we have a lot of student community groups that go on throughout the week, and I just, I'm watching lives be changed and our leaders rise up and do incredible work in that. So that's where we were in 2022. We felt like we had to build a ministry that didn't exist, that was essential, and we ended up actually building two, a missions department and a group ministry. So praise God. Amen? <laughs> Now, uh, where are we at now in this vision? Well, we recognize that while we have a lot of great ministry that has a lot of great strengths, there's not a consistent culture that runs through all of our church yet. That in some environments and teams, you're gonna have a disciple making experience, and in other d- d- uh, teams, they're so busy and overtasked, there's not much disciple making other than you're just serving. And we're praying that the Holy Spirit shows up while you're serving and makes you more like Jesus, which is a part of it, but we wanna be a little bit more intentional across all of our departments. So we're gonna put an emphasis in 2023 on developing good team disciple-making culture. We want to have a gospel culture in our teams so that when you serve, there's a camaraderie of knowing what we're doing this for is not for a pastor, it's not for a platform, it's not for a larger church, but it's for a Savior. His name is Jesus, and we serve in His name with a group of people that makes serving joyful, that makes serving enjoyable for us as we do it together. So this is where we're going, and if you want to be great this year... I believe, which all of us to some degree want, to, make a, to live this year in a way that's greater than it was last year, that makes an impact in a way that's larger than it made last year. If you want to be great, we want to invite you on the, the Bible's path of greatness, and it comes out of Mark chapter 10, and it sets us off on this adventure together. Mark chapter 10, uh, I want to read to you the first part of this uh, that comes before verse 35. It says in your, your notes, we're going to pick up with 35, but I'm going to give you three bonus verses without extra time. I'm just going to, I'm going to preach that fast. Here it goes. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says, "...they were now on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And the disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear." Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Now, that is a loaded and incredible verse. There's so much that's in that first verse for us. First, we get an insight into discipleship back in Jesus' time. If you were to follow a rabbi and be a disciple of a rabbi, it was considered one of the highest privileges that you could be given. You would spend a large portion of your life literally walking everywhere your rabbi went, following in their footsteps. So wherever they would walk throughout their day, you would walk behind them. But the idea is the rabbi always went first. So if suffering were ahead, the rabbi greeted it first. If conflict were ahead, the rabbi met it first. The idea is there was nothing that you would encounter that your rabbi wouldn't have already been in, so they wouldn't be prepared to lead you in whenever you got into it. And where we're at as a follower of Christ is we serve a rabbi, a teacher. His name is Jesus. And what we know is that he has already gone first. And anything that this year can bring us, he's already gone first. And any challenge we could face, he's already gone first. So Hebrews can write that he's the all-sufficient high priest and savior because we know that whatever we face is a challenge that he is prepared as our high priest to meet head-on with us. He goes first. As we follow behind, we get the idea of what the disciples' experience is meant to be. We follow, we don't lead. We follow Jesus, and as a result of it, we get to stand in awe of the work of Jesus. That's what it says in verse 32. They were in awe. But others that were further back, the further they got from Jesus, they were filled with what? Fear. That's the disciples' experience. You see, faith is living in the space where either God comes through or we look foolish. But when he does, he looks holy. When we live in the faith space, we can't explain our lives apart from the hand of God and the power of God and the presence of God that's at work in our lives. And for you and I, we have been called to walk by faith. Without faith, it's told in Hebrews, we cannot what? Please God. So we have to live in this faith space that follows instead of is consumed with leading. That seeds control instead of is consumed with being in control. And as we get close to Jesus in our walk, we're filled with awe and wonder at the work that God does. You see, the problem for a lot of us in this room is we don't stand in awe ever anymore. We live in a culture that shut down circuses because it can't keep people's attention beyond the animal rights problems. I understand some of you are like, animal rights, animal rights. No, that if you read some of the stuff that's going on with Barnum and Bailey, even when they were trying to come up with a circus that they could execute, the thing they said is no one pays attention long enough to enjoy a circus anymore. So they had to go rapid fire with entertainment left and right because no one would stop to uh, take in one thing without being consumed with what's the next thing. We've been so consumed with the best is yet to come that we've not thanked God for what's already come. See, sometimes you've got to slow down and take it in. Yeah. Maybe through reflection, it may be through a current miracle that's actively happening in front of you where you just simply stop and you're like, look, 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 I don't want to miss this moment because I could quickly move past it because I've been waiting on it. I've been waiting on it to move us into a new season. I've been waiting on it to open up a new door. But before I walk through it, I want to stand in awe that the door is open. I want to stand in awe that the mountain's been moved. I want to stand in awe that the valley's behind us and that we have a new horizon before us that God has allowed us to walk, to walk in. You see, the disciples' walk is one that's filled with awe, and there's a reverent fear. Their fear is a terror fear. They know trouble awaits them in Jerusalem. Uh, but for a disciple, there's a reverent fear of we're close to God, and it's kind of scary how close we are. It's that tension, reverent fear, that we see in the Old Testament, not terror fear that's described, that describes the, the, the feeling of emotion of this is awesome and it could kill us. You ever felt that, that emotion before? Like, I remember sitting on top of uh, Half Dome in Yosemite. My bachelor party, we went and hiked Half Dome in one day. It was dumb. Um, and, and I understand why people die now, because you have to free climb it with some gloves, and there's people trying to take selfies. Like, millennials kill people all the time with selfies. It's, it's a real big problem. And, and, and you're climbing up, and people are like, ah! And, like, they drop their phone. And, like, there's people debating, diving after. I'm like, that's a cliff. Like, you're going to die. And I'm convinced that some of them, if they would have responded to me that day, would have said, I'd rather die than be without my phone, because that's the way some of us act. But anyway, that's a here nor there. But my, my point is, we got to the top of it, and it felt like you could see the entire world, the curvature of the earth. And it's that moment where you realize, man, how vast the expanse of the creation of God, and in the same breath, man, one gust of wind, and we're out of here. This is awesome, and it could kill us. That, that's what it's like to get close God. It's accompanied by reverent fear and awe. So the disciples are walking. He's leading. They're following. And as they're following, there's awe and there's terror fear because they're afraid of what's ahead. Look at what he goes on to say. Verse 33, listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed. To the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law, they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans, or the Gentiles in some of your translations. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Okay, so one of the reasons that I'm a follower of Christ is I naturally doubt everything first. I start with doubt, and then I move to belief. I don't start with belief. It's something I'm trying to work on. I don't start with belief and then move to like doubt later. Like I, I, I assume it's not right until proven otherwise. Any of you with me? Any of you can relate to that? Okay. Like I've just been burned too many times. I've, I've been around the sun on the third rock enough to know like, like there's a lot of deceit on this earth. So when people are talking about a move of God, I'm like, I doubt it. And I have, to, I have to work on that because my initial thoughts usually are, I doubt God's work before I receive it as God's work or believe it to be God's work. Well, What's happening here is there's a prophecy that's being told, and this is why I'm a believer. You go back to the book of Isaiah, many people call it the fifth gospel, Isaiah chapter 53. It describes the type of death on which Jesus would die in significant detail hundreds of years in advance. The prophet Isaiah was believed to have been written, I believe, around, uh, I mean, I'm going to get it wrong, seven or nine. It's either seven or nine hundred years before Christ. It's one or the other. I've got another book in my mind. So I believe it's seven. I'm going to guess seven. Someone will Google it and tell me I'm wrong later. Uh, hundred years in advance, the type of death in which Jesus would die, prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53. Then, before his death, repeatedly the disciples heard him say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And I'm going to rise again. So just throwing it out there. If these eyewitnesses then, who were cowards that abandoned Jesus, then die martyrs' deaths in the name of Jesus, there might be something to their message. Uh, they may have seen a resurrected Savior. And one of the reasons I have conviction to believe what I believe comes from the prophecies that we see that are within the Bible. So Jesus calls his death. The disciples were paying attention. Because in verse 35, James and John, seeing this to be the greatest opportunity to bring up a good conversation... The sons of Zebedee came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious thrones, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. Any of you ever asked a good question, or maybe it was just, you know, you were wanting to lay out something that mattered to you, but you just presented it at the worst time possible? Okay, this is the definition of bad timing okay your friend your messiah your leader and lord is about to die your question is when you sit on your throne can we be second and third in command so that the rest of the disciples will have to go through us to get to you how do we create divisions within your kingdom. That's essentially what's going on. James and John on the hills of him speaking of his imminent betrayal, arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection immediately make a request that is motivated by their own self-interest. And listen to me, this is what will kill our unity. This is what will kill our momentum when self-interest becomes the primary interest or tries to be established as the primary interest for the entire church. I am a pastor that will give an account before God for how I steward and lead his church to his mission and his purpose. Let me be very clear. It can't be about my agenda, and it can't be about your agenda. It has to be about his kingdom. And at the end of the day, self-interest divides the family of God. They ask to sit on the right and the left, which is referred to as the respective ranks of second and third in command. What they're doing is jockeying for a position to be distinguished from the rest of the twelve and the rest of the disciples before the other disciples have the same selfish sense to ask for the seats. You see the line? Between my motivation of being great for my sake and a part of God's greatness is a very thin and easy line to miss. Let me say that again. The line between us being about God's greatness in story and our greatness under His name, profiting off of His cross, using His power in some manipulative way to get what our heart selfishly desires apart from God is a very easy trap to get in. I've watched many a faithful pastor to the Word see a church grow and become faithful to anything but the Word and the work of ministry as a result of it. It's one of the most grievous things to observe and to see, to watch how the things that come with the honoring and blessing of God become the things that become primary and replace the very seed of God over the hearts of men and women in life. And so for many of you this year, I have no doubt that Some of you want to be great. You want to make a great impact. You've resolved to start new habits and do new things that are going to somehow elevate your life and make an impact. And you're going to give God, like a rapper does at the Grammy Awards, the credit at the end. But there'll be nothing of God in the story to actually honor God throughout it. And can I tell you something? God is not consumed with you at the end of your work and self-interest giving him some assent. And saying it was for you when it was all about you to begin with. It's just like taking the content of most rap albums and saying, God, get glory out of it when there's nothing glorious in it. It's just sinful mess that you're finding yourself in. Here's my point. Don't live a life in your mind. That gives assent to God in moments, but denies him his power moment to moment. God's more consumed with walking with you in the process than the destination of where the process will lead. And many of you are just saying, let me get out of my way, God, and get out of my timing, God, and just let me have what I want when I want it, and I'll then give you glory when I get it. And in reality, all you get is the carnality of your flesh, not something that's glorious and honoring to God. So look at what he goes on to say to them. Jesus said to them, verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. How many of you have ever felt the pause of praying a prayer and and feeling back, I don't think you know the road you're asking to walk down? See, they want to be great, but they don't understand that in God's kingdom, the path to greatness looks completely different than in the world's. See, a lot of you want to be great, but do you really want to be great in the eyes of God? Is your greatness and your drive to be different this year motivated by what's biblically called great? Or is it just self-interest, selfish-seeking self-interest that's motivating what you're doing, the decisions you're making? If that be the case, let's go ahead and remove what's already out of it, God. And in His common grace, He may allow you to run down the path of your own self-interest, but it will not lead to Him getting glory in the very end of it. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Look at what he goes on to say. Uh, Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? I mean, if you want those seats, if you want to be there, if you want to be great in my kingdom, the path to greatness is not marked with parades and upgrades But it's often marked in obscurity, in persecution, and suffering. And we do everything we can in the American church to convince you that full-hearted obedience to Christ will be absent from suffering, will be absent from loneliness, will be absent from questioning and doubts and struggles. But I'm here to tell you that if you go hard after Jesus, you will find yourself in over your head, suffering and dealing with grief that the rest of the world doesn't feel or experience, because in their mind... How can life get any better? But in your mind, you know there's something greater that is to come that you long for in the midst of the days that you sit in on this side of eternity. You see many of us we want the greatness without the suffering. We we want character without having to go through the character-making moments of life. We want the we want it to be forged, but we don't want it to be through the fire. And the reality is is that you and I have been called to walk in the path of a suffering servant that went before us so that we could In the path of that suffering servant, be like him as we serve the world in his name and for his renown. You see, they get a priority check, a priority check. And what Jesus does is he gives them a gracious, gracious refocus. Verse 40, he says, I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples, verse 41, heard what James and John had asked, they were happy for them. How creative. How smart. You asked God for the better seats. No, they were indignant. Why? Because when you put your self-interest within the kingdom of God, it becomes a tool for Satan to divide the family. I don't don't, don't want to go to that church because they don't do everything that I like. You think I like everything we do? I I don't go to that church because there's people that I don't like. You think... Did I like all of you that are here? So I'm not used to a pastor saying stuff like that. Well, you're not used to a pastor being honest. Because look, some of y'all make it hard to enjoy this thing. I love you, but sometimes I struggle to like you. You see, see, the disciples weren't helping Jesus out. They weren't making it easier I mean, Peter's arguing with them about going to the cross and has to get called Satan, okay? James and John are arguing about who gets to sit where. It's it's not like he's keeping company with the disciples because, man, oh, potential. He knows they're going to need the Holy Spirit. And before the Holy Spirit comes, he knows they're going to need a warning. Do nothing until the Helper comes. Because if they try to do something before the Spirit comes, ears were going to get cut off and Jesus wasn't going to be there to fix it. Are you tracking with me? Every single time you and I let our self-interest into the church, we allow Satan to come in and divide the church. You see, many of us are worried about our elevation instead of being a people that give attention to being obedient to what God has called us to in the moment. I want to invite you this year to stop worrying about your elevation and begin to be faithful with the moment God has given you. Don't allow the fruit of the flesh to sow discord into the church. You cannot control how people respond to the work of God through you, but living in pride and self-interest is a sure way to invite divisions within the kingdom of God that shouldn't be happening in this house because of you. You cannot build up other Christians when you are full of self-interest. You cannot present a unified gospel message to the community while competing and envying and coveting God's work through other churches and other believers which is why we have a clear mission and vision at this church. We're not trying to be Church of the Mill. I love Church of the Mill. Great church. The Church of Christ down the road, great church. Abner Creek Baptist Church, great church. They're trying to be faithful to God's Word. They're trying to equip God's people for God's work. We support and encourage that, but we do not want to be the same as them. Last I checked, at the end of this thing, every tribe, nation, and tongue will stand around the throne of God, and it's a diverse gathering from different cultures and different backgrounds. And look, we prioritize being a multicultural church we're not comfortable looking all the same living in the same status and place that we come from we believe that when God is in the house and when the kingdom of God is active a diverse people gather around the throne of God because he brings a diverse people into the house of God together and so what we want you to be encouraged with and reminded of is that we are not here to make divisions and we're not here to build platforms for ourselves so that we can worship people but we are here to serve a platform we're here to serve the platform that is the name that is above every other name and we're to walk under that banner as a people who have been united By the very blood of Jesus, to be made family who are not a family, to be uh, united in a way that we cannot be united apart from his very blood. What does Jesus go on to say as he calls his disciples together in the middle of this disruption on his way to the cross? He calls them over in Mark chapter 10, after uh, James and John say, oh yes, we're able to walk the path and do what you've called us to do. Again, having no clue what they were getting into. In verse 41, It says this, When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and he said, You know the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those that are under them. But among you, it will be different. We do not build Fortune 500 companies. We equip and send and sometimes the equipping and sending comes at a cost to the house to do so which sometimes means our, our kingdom butts and seats shrink so that saints can be sent and churches can be planted. Sometimes we don't get notice and we're overlooked. But let me tell you, oh man, I wish I had more time to do this. There is a gift that God gives you whenever he allows you to be obscure. When News 4 doesn't want to run a story on it, when it's not being talked about on social media, it's just faithful and steadfast. Man, there, there is an effectiveness that comes when you get a group of people that make that the aim, and they don't care if any of the other renown goes anywhere else, and if they do get any notice, it's all getting pointed to Jesus because it's not about them and it wasn't derived in them. Man, there, there is a danger that comes when you get a group of people that become consumed, not with being great leaders, but great servants. you got a lot of people in Christian culture, oh, we want to lead. Here's 101 ways to be a great Christian leader. You know, foundationally what I don't often read? It starts with being a servant. It starts, you know what the text says, with being a slave to a master whose name is Jesus. And we as a people have been invited to serve His name and His throne and not our own. And in 2023, I want to invite you into spaces that are not convenient. I want to invite you into sacrifices I want to invite you into spaces that require you to reprioritize your life so that you can serve someone other than your own name and interest in the name of Jesus. I want to invite you into Christian service because that's the example we're given in Mark 10. Because in verse 45, when he could have been sitting on the throne and being heralded as a king and celebrated and paraded through the streets as a Lord, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you and I have been invited into his path in His service that may be in obscurity without so much as a thank you in the next year, but in obedience will be a glory to His name if we choose to take up our cross and follow Him in the year. So what does that mean for us? Well, we have people to serve. We have needs that need to be met. And it takes open-handed people who are willing to be used by God with the gifts that He has given them in order for us to grow to the potential that He has called and led us into next. There's two places in the Bible where we're called to follow the example of Jesus directly in Scripture. In general, you're called to follow the example of Jesus. In 1 Peter, we're called to look to Jesus' example for suffering. So when you suffer, you look to Jesus. Why? Because He suffered. And in Mark 10, 45, we're invited to look directly at Jesus in His service. He would later establish this by washing the disciples' feet and saying to them, that they are to continue to do this, to serve each other in this way and to remember communion and the sacrifice of the Father as he has set the example for them. That's the invitation for us this year. Serve as we follow the Lord who was a servant. Serve as we serve the King who was also a servant. And in doing so, I believe in 365-ish days, you'll be more like him. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you to surrender. I want to invite you to commitment today. Our prayer team is going to come forward. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, we believe that that if you confess with your mouth, it comes out of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, then he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins. And if you have never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the leader, and what you need to be made right before God, then we want to invite you to the great substitute, the great exchange where Jesus offers to stand in your sinful place so that he can raise you into new life, filled with the Holy Spirit, living a life that you couldn't live apart from him. If you need to give your life to Jesus, come forward and they'll pray with you and talk with you about that. If you need to humble yourself because you've been about your great name and not his great name, then we invite you to bow and kneel. That's appropriate in the house. If your agenda's been your agenda, and not God's agenda, we invite you to surrender that agenda before God today. You move as the Lord leads in Jesus' name. Amen.